Amen and amen. His grace will lead us home and the battle is the Lord. What a, what a song rich with the promises that instill hope in us to remember that the Lord has won the war. This week I was having a conversation with someone and um, with hearing, you know, about the lightning and then all the Wi-Fi was out and things were kind of just a little, a little nutty. And I was like, man, it really seems like kind of just battle after battle after battle after battle. And my friend looks up at me and she's like, yeah, it might seem like we're kind of losing battles, but Jesus won the war. Jesus won the war. Jesus won the war. And that was like, you know, as I was complaining, um, it's almost like a balloon when you're like releasing the air and it's like, and she's like, but Jesus won the war. And that was immediately like a blowing the air right back into the balloon. It's that, that encouragement that my heart needed. So church, be encouraged. Christ has won the war. And as we dive into Hebrews chapter 8 today, oh my goodness, I was studying this this week and it was just so full of, of the promises of Jesus, which David has been taking us through from the beginning of Hebrews all the way till now. And I just want to give a shout out to him. I know he's not here right now, but praise the Lord for David. Praise the Lord for David and for Robin, who's been right by his side, and his faithfulness, not just to the church, but, but to the work of Christ and believing that, that the best is yet to come. I, I sit with him once a week, and I mean, I just feel like a little sponge soaking up all of his wisdom and his knowledge, and, and his passion for Christ is just amazing, and I am so thankful that, that as a church we get to learn from that, and I am very excited that, that I get to share this part with you, and as, as David brought us up to this moment, last week he focused on Jesus being the perfect mediator. So to recap, a mediator is someone who stands in the middle. It comes from the Greek word mezites, which means the one who stands in between two people to bring resolution. So as David said it last week, Jesus is our middleman. He is the one who stands in the gap. And he showed us this picture last week. And Jesus and the cross is really what takes us from ourselves and the way that we govern ourselves and the way that we are led by our emotions. And when we are far from Christ, we are on the opposite side of grace. And the chasm is so wide and we know that the only way to get to the other side is through Jesus is through the cross, is through salvation. And that is what the book of Hebrews has been telling us from chapter one all the way through now. Now let's remember, the author of Hebrews has been writing this in a time of intense persecution, in moments where the believers thought that there was no way out, in a moment where believers thought that it was so worth it to throw in the towel and to say no more. Have you ever felt that way? In a moment where they thought that it was better to just go back to their old way of life and to believe the lies of the enemy and to, to believe that following Jesus just wasn't worth it anymore. But the author of Hebrews was encouraging them chapter through chapter. And right now we have it as beautiful little chapters, but the book of Hebrews was a letter encouraging them to keep pressing on. So in chapter 8, we are going to be reading, it's almost like a recap of chapter 7, how Jesus is the perfect mediator, but the author goes into a little more depth explaining why. 
why he is the better mediator. And these are the four snapshots that we're going to add to our photo album of the heart this week. Jesus is the better mediator. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the better covenant. And Jesus is the better promise. So as we read chapter 8, these four snapshots are going to be popping up, and I encourage us to just really dive in into each and every single one. He is the mediator. He is the middleman. He is the sacrifice, which we're going to see as David has been explaining throughout the whole book of Hebrews, comes from the Old Testament form of the law where it was necessary to offer up a sacrifice and forgiveness of sin. Well, Jesus came to offer that sacrifice. He is the better covenant, and in a big chunk of this passage and also what we're going to look at next week. It talks about the old covenant versus the new covenant and what was the litigations for the old and and what is the new promise of the new. And in all of that, he says, because he is the better mediator, because he is the better sacrifice, because he is the better covenant, he is the best promise that we can ever hold on to. So we're going to look at all of that. So I invite you to read along the slides as we dive in to chapter 8 of Hebrews. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So he's recapping what we see in chapter 7 here. When God gave Moses the instructions to set up the tabernacle, and we see this in the book of Exodus, we see that he gave him all the furnishings of the tabernacle. There was the lampstand. There was the the place for the Ark of the Covenant. There was the place for the Holy of Holies and the entrance. There was everything you could possibly think of that a tabernacle or, or a temple or a church would need except a chair. There were no pews. There were no seating arrangements in the tabernacle. And the thinking behind this was because the job of the priest was to always be on his feet. There was always something for the priest to do, whether it was burning the incense, whether it was actually offering up a sacrifice. The priest was always expected to be on the move because the job of the priest was never done. And as I was reading this, I kind of chuckled a little bit because as most of you know, I was a first grade teacher. And that job, you have to be on your feet. And I don't know if you've ever worked at a job where you were kind of expected to be, you know, on your feet. And if the boss ever caught you sitting, it was kind of like, no, I'm I'm working, you know, I'm not sitting down. (laughs) Whenever I was sitting at my desk was because my kids were at special or they were at lunch or they were taking a test. I was rarely at my desk. Whenever I was at my desk, it was, you know, to take a pause, to take a minute, or because my work was done. The kids weren't there anymore. So when the priest was in the temple, in the tabernacle, there was no chairs because the work of the priest was never done because there was no sacrifice that was ever enough. So when it says here that he, we have such a high priest who sat down, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, who is in the true tabernacle, we are seeing that the true tabernacle is not actually one that was built here by man. The true tabernacle is actually one that is in heaven, that has a throne room, that has a throne, that has a chair, because the work of the high priest is finished. 
When Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, he was saying, this is the sacrifice that is enough. This is the sacrifice that is once and for all. This is the sacrifice that is complete. What joy, what confidence that should instill in us. And as we learn from David, this comes, this comes from Psalm 110 where it says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he was exalted to the highest place. Not in a tabernacle made by man, but in a tabernacle, the original in heaven. Let's continue in verses three and four. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices and so it was necessary for this one to also have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Disqualified mainly, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. So here on earth, we have priests, and we had the tabernacle, and we had all of these things, and it was necessary for them to offer gifts because of the law, and they had to offer these sacrifices in forgiveness of the law because the wages for sin is death, and blood was the only way to cover that sin. So every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts. So when Jesus came, it was also necessary for him to offer a gift. And what is so spectacularly amazing about Jesus is that he not only is the high priest who offered the perfect sacrifice, he was the perfect sacrifice. The giver of the sacrifice sacrificed himself and was the perfect, perfect substitution. And it says if he were here on earth, if we were going by the laws of the earth, if we were going by the way that the law was established, Jesus would have been disqualified on the spot because he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. So by earthly means, Jesus wasn't even fit to be a priest. He wasn't fit to do what was required for him to do. And I think that's all part of the, the big mystery of salvation. In the way that he came, the king of heaven came down as a baby, <laughs> born in a stable. Everything about the salvation story is topsy-turvy, upside down to the world's standards. And this is exactly why it's meant for us because we are the topsy-turviest of them all. We needed a savior. We needed something different. We needed salvation. Verses five and six. They serve, the priest, serve at a sanctuary that is actually a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the temple. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. And this is a direct quote from Exodus 25, 40. So when Moses was instructed to build the temple, the tabernacle, it was a tent, and the Lord gave him the specific measurements, the specific instructions, the specific materials, everything he needed in order to build up this tent of the Lord where the Lord said, that is where I am going to dwell. Make sure that you follow it exactly because this is a copy that is shown to you on the mountain. So if it's a copy, that must mean that there's an original somewhere. 
And the original, as it is telling us here in Hebrews, it is in heaven. Everything that the Lord instructed to Moses was, was already established from the beginning. And what was given and what God gave to Moses on the mountain was the old covenant. What we know as the old covenant. To Moses, it was brand new. <laughs> and when they brought this, they had their tent. And then years and years passed. And then David had this desire, King David, to say, God can't be in a tent. We, we got to build a house for him. And the Lord said, I, I love your momentum and I love your, your desires, but it's not going to be you. It's actually going to be your son. So Solomon built the temple of the Lord, and it was the most magnificent temple. And they kept the same laws under the old covenant as described to Moses. And they had the sacrifices, and they had the high priest, and they had everything that they needed, all the furnishings. It was just in a magnificent temple, a grounded structure that could not be moved and that was unshakable. And that is why the Jews of the first century took great pride in their temple because it was so historic and it was so rich and it was everything that God had promised and it was the very dwelling place of God. It was magnificent in every single way. But everything that was going on inside eventually became corrupt and divided so what is the point of having a magnificent temple if there's, if there's corruption on the inside? So the, the author of Hebrews is, is bringing to us this new idea of, of showing us to not ground ourselves on what we can see because something needed to change. And that change came through Jesus. Next verse. But in fact, the ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, which means it is more excellent because the covenant which he is mediator of is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Now, can you imagine the division that there must have been between the Jewish people that were following their, their religious rituals and then the new believers, Christians, they're probably like, well, where's your temple? Well, where's your priest? Uh, okay, this is going to be really hard to explain, but he's in heaven. <laughs> Religion is so focused on what we can do and what we can see and what we can make from it and what we can get from it. The man-made religion where the new covenant is all based on calling us out of religion and calling us into a relationship. Into a relationship of faith and believing. Well, where is your temple? Our temple is perfected in the heavens. Well, where is your high priest? I don't see him. Our high priest gave the biggest and ultimate sacrifice and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father because his work is done. This is news worth sharing. This is news worth believing. Next verse. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. 
but God found fault with the people. So some might argue, well, if God was really God, why would he present an old covenant just to then change his mind? Fair question. When we look at the promises of God, we see two sets of promises in Scripture. We see promises that are conditional and then promises that are unconditional. And the old covenant, the old law, was conditional. They all started with, if you, if my people, if you guard the law, if you keep my ways, if you obey, if you make sure to listen to my words, then I... It was conditional. It was based on our obedience and it was based on what we could do. But this new covenant is so different than the conditional one. So the fault wasn't in the covenant. The fault was in the people. The fault was in us. We were incapable of achieving a standard set by the Holy One. We are incapable of being good enough because we are not, which is why something needed to change. The new covenant is not based on what I can do. It's not if you do this, if you pray enough, if you go to church enough, if you just say the sinner's prayer this many times, if you do this. The new covenant is not based on what I can do. It is based solely on the perfect work that Jesus has accomplished on the cross of Calvary once and for all. The new covenant is everything. And this was spoken centuries ago. This wasn't just an idea that the Lord thought of because he was like, oh no, I totally messed up. We need to fix this. No. There is never a moment in time where the Lord is not in control. And there is never a moment in time where God is not sovereign. And there is not a moment in time where God doesn't know what he's doing, including now, New Providence Presbyterian Church. He is in control and he is good. So this is what the Lord said in Jeremiah. This was centuries ago and this is the quote that is here in Hebrews which we said as our words of grace this morning. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, and it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. The fault was with the people. So then I turned away from them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He is saying this conditional promises of if you, then I, it's over. Now a new season is coming. A new time is coming where it doesn't matter what you do. It's going to be an invitation, but it's not going to be a requirement. I really hope you accept this invitation but I will make you my people and I will be your God if you accept the perfect sacrifice. It's not if you, then I. It's I will if you. It flipped. 
No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This is a better covenant because it is initiated by God himself, not depending on what I can do, but totally depending on what he did. And as we say over and over and over again through the gospel story, we could never go up which is why he came down, which is why he met us right where we were. The old covenant, the 10 commandments, and then all the laws added to that were set as a standard to set us apart as the holy people of God, but there was, there was never really a way for us to, to keep the law. We weren't capable of it, humanity proved it. <laughs> which is why we needed a better way. Verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Now, don't be tempted, though, to think, oh, okay, so the new covenant just means new and improved. We love to see that, right? We, a new pair of shoes or a new phone comes out. It's the new and improved version of what was before. No. This is from the Enduring Word Commentary. There are two ancient Greek words that describe the context of new. Neos, which means newness in regard to time, but it could be a copy of something that's old, but just recently updated. That's neos. But then there's the word kainos, which is what's used here and what's used in 2 Corinthians when he said, I will make you a new creation. This is a new covenant, a kainos covenant that describes something not just tweaked or not just updated. It is truly new in its quality. So, to kind of give us a, a little visual of what the old covenant versus the new covenant is, I got this on the loan, friends. I mean, they dug this up from an archaeological site and it is unbelievable. Many of you maybe have seen these in textbooks or in pictures, I mean, it blew my mind. So be very careful, we can't even breathe around it. Ladies and gentlemen, the landline. <laughs> Have you ever seen anything so exquisite? The old covenant was like a landline. You had to go to the temple, you were tethered to a place. You couldn't leave, you couldn't move, you had to come to the priest, you had to offer your sacrifices. You were tethered, there was not, there was not much room or much leniency of where you could go. You were tethered, you were tied. It was one place and one way only, through a person, through a priest, through a set of laws. But then one day came the iPhone. <laughs> and it's similar in its concept. It, you, you use it to communicate, you use it to, to be in touch, you use it to, to have a direct line to someone. But the concept is new. All of a sudden, I'm not tethered, I am free to have communication wherever I want. This is the new covenant. Because of Jesus, because he offered the true and only sacrifice, he cut the tether and said, you can have a relationship with me wherever you go. 
But here's the problem, church. Because of consumer Christianity, we think we can pick and choose our carrier. This is not a paid uh, publicity, all right? This is not paid publicity. But, you know, we, if we want, you know, a kind of, you know, just sort of kind of coverage or whatever, you know, we'll pay for Sprint. If we want a little bit more, you know, we might go to AT&T, a little more coverage around, you know, a little more connectivity. And, I mean, if we really want the good stuff, you know, we'll pay the big bucks for Verizon. And the same thing happens with our relationship with Christ. We think we can pick and choose what kind of relationship I want. But as long as I'm carrying the phone, that means I'm good. So I'm going to talk to Jesus, but just a little bit because it's convenient. Or maybe, you know, because I give a little more to the church, that upgrades me to his version of Verizon. <laughs> and because I give more, because I, I volunteer more, because I pray more, that makes me a better, you know, and better connection to Christ. That is not true. The only carrier that offers connectivity on the mountain and in the valley, <laughs> the only coverage that you will ever get that is once and for all is through the blood of Jesus. There is no picking and choosing. There is no what is convenient for me. There is no I want this way, but I'm going to negotiate that way. No, the negotiation was done when Jesus said, I will go so that they don't have to. So my question to you, friends, is where are you? Are you still living on the old covenant? Or are you free in the new? Or do you think you're free in the new, but you're actually still tethered to, if I just do this, if I just do that, if I just, and let's not get this confused because the Lord does ask us to be obedient and the Lord does ask us to, to do things for him, not out of obligation though, but out of love. My service and my worship and what I give, whether it's time, treasure, talents, whatever, is not because I have to, it's because I get to. I get to because of what he's done for me. So where are you? Verse 13 again, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. The old covenant, it just covered sin temporarily. The priest had to keep performing sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. The new covenant, it is washed and whole and made new completely. We are white as snow. Now, the old covenant is not obsolete in that, you know, we shouldn't learn from it. There are basic principles, like I said, that do carry. It is a connection. It is, that, it is that line that we have with the Lord, but we cannot be tethered. Jesus came to set us free. That is the power of the new covenant. The old covenant is religion, and religion makes us slaves. The new covenant is relationship. And no one can take a relationship away from you. So I invite you this morning. Because we know these four things, that Jesus is our better mediator. Because Jesus is the better sacrifice. Because of all of this, we have a better covenant. 
that is enacted, that is established, that is activated on better promises, what do we do from here? It's your choice. Are we going to live in the old? Or are we going to take him for who he is and what he did? This is just a silly demonstration, but I hope it sticks. But what Jesus did on the cross will, is, is timeless. It will never go out of date. It will never go out of style. It will never lose its richness. It'll never lose its wonder. So may we never lose the wonder of who it is that we are truly following. May we be filled and full of the presence of the new covenant offered exclusively and only by Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you because you are holy. We thank you because you are mighty. We thank you because there is no one like you. And we pray this morning that if there were any parts of our hearts that were still tethered to the old and, and believing that it was by what we can do and, and what we can give and what we can offer, God, that that, that is what's going to make you love us, then, God, cut that tether. Cut that cord and help us to know true freedom through you, Jesus. And to know that with you, because of your blood, we have coverage wherever we go. And all we need to do is say yes to your call. It is in your name that we pray. Amen and amen.